The Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT has a lot on its plate in the months to come. That includes work to support the health IT provisions of the 21st Century Cures Act, which aims to speed up the advancement of medical innovation. ONC's responsibilities under the 21st Century Cures Act include efforts around health IT interoperability and secure health information exchange. That includes convening public and private stakeholders to develop or support an exchange framework for trust policies and practices, such as a common method for authenticating trusted health information network participants. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Genevieve Morris, Principal Deputy National Coordinator. Genevieve will be speaking to us about some of the work that ONC will be doing related to these efforts. So Genevieve, just for starters, just to clarify for our listeners that although there's a new administration, you're not new to ONC. You've held other positions at ONC under the prior administration. Very briefly, tell us what you were involved with previously at ONC. So I come from the consulting world. So my former company, Audacious Inquiry, is one of the contractors who's worked with ONC for a number of years. So I've spent about five and a half years uh, working for them and then working on contracts for ONC that really ran the gambit of health IT policy projects. So everything from patient matching and consumer-mediated health information exchange to working on how we exchange health information during disasters, and then the interoperability roadmap. And at that same time that I was working for ONC, I also worked with a number of private sector folks. So I've worked with FQHCs and health systems to help them implement meaningful use requirements and do uh, lots of fun stuff like workflow redesign, patient portal implementations, and things like that. And so now ONC has been working on interoperability and secure national health information exchange for a long time, as you know, including the release of the 10-year roadmap in 2015. What's changing and how might the work ONC is tasked to do under the 21st Century Cures Act either impact or fit into what was previously issued in the 10-year roadmap? I think a number of things have changed over the last two years since we rolled out the interoperability roadmap. Some change has been around technology itself. I think there's been an acceleration with folks in the field working to put out the FHIR standards and the DSTUs for that and get to a closer to final version. And so I think there's been pretty significant progress there in the last two years. And then I think generally the business models have really started to shift in the last two years from fee-for-service to value-based, both with CMMI programs from out of CMS, as well as the quality payment program or QPP. The advanced alternative payment models, I, I think the estimate is somewhere between 20 to 30% of providers will fall into that category of QPP. And so we have a lot of providers who are really starting to shift their thinking around why they might need interoperability. And really, as you look at those value-based models, whether it be an ACO or a bundled payment model or the CPC Plus program, there's a great need to be able to exchange clinical data in order to really lower the cost of care, do better care coordination for patients, and really improve their health. And so I think those two areas in particular have seen a bit of a shift in the last two years. But the roadmap as a whole really is still a good overarching guide to where we want to get to. As we look at 21st century cures, Congress really thought quite thoughtfully about some of the things that we need to do in order to 
move us forward to get towards nationwide interoperability and have given us a couple of requirements that we specifically as ONC have to do. One is around the conditions of certification. A second is around information blocking, where we have to define what information blocking is and isn't, and then create some regulations around what that means. And then, as you mentioned, the trusted exchange framework and common agreement is sort of the third big area that I think will impact interoperability moving forward. As we think about sort of the roadmap versus what we have in Cures, I think there's a a pretty good alignment between the two. There's a little bit of a divergence, particularly in the governance area, but, but really, I think Congress was quite thoughtful in making sure that what they put into CURES continues to help us along that path towards a learning health system. So I think that's our focus right now is really implementing some of the 21st century CURES requirements. And they do have timelines attached to them. And so real near term, those are sort of the things that we're most focused on. Now, speaking of near term related to the 21st Century Cures Act, I understand that on July 24th, ONC will be hosting a kickoff meeting to provide health IT stakeholders an opportunity to discuss existing national trust infrastructures used to exchange health information electronically and to share views on electronic data sharing best practices. What sort of health IT stakeholders do you expect will attend that meeting and what do you hope to accomplish? We're very excited to be kicking off officially the the work on the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement on the 24th. I think as far as folks that we expect to attend, we're really seeing quite a wide range of individuals registering. So we have pretty high registration numbers at this point for the meeting. And we're seeing everything from the networks that you would expect to be there, such as Care Quality Commonwealth, Direct Trust, the Nate folks, Karen Alliance, you know, all the folks who are presenting. And then we're also seeing a lot of health information exchanges. And then just a number of sort of other interested parties, both health systems, some of the provider groups, as well as some of the vendors in this space, both the EHR vendors, as well as some of the population health management vendors and middleware vendors. What's really clear from the registration is that interoperability is something that we all take very seriously and we're all trying to accomplish. So we're pretty excited to see such an enthusiastic response to the registration uh, because we're really looking forward to getting the feedback from the industry. As far as what we're trying to accomplish on the 24th, I've over the past five, six years, done hundreds upon hundreds of interviews for the different projects I've worked on. And what I have found, particularly in the last few years, is that there just tend to be a lot of misconceptions about some of the various networks and organizations that are operating and what they allow for, what they don't allow for, how they're exchanging data, how they're sort of regulating the exchange of data with their particular agreements. And I think what we really want to do on the 24th is make sure that Folks who are going to be providing us with comments on what we should or shouldn't do in the common agreement are all sort of are starting from the same place. I think we want to make sure that we have a level playing field so everyone sort of understands the same thing about each of the organizations and the agreements and some of the areas where there might be divergence so that as they're submitting comments into us, you know, they're based on fact and not just on, um, well, this is what I heard somewhere from someone and I can't remember who. We think it's, it's going to be really helpful in making sure that we're getting good feedback. And really, the 24th sort of kicks off a period for us of doing a lot of listening to the industry. So after the meeting on the 24th, we're going to have a 30-day public comment period where we're asking folks to submit written comments to us about what should or shouldn't be in the common agreement. I mean, this is really an opportunity to, for folks to tell us 
here's the areas within policy and governance where we're having a problem exchanging data or where we're seeing networks have a problem and we think that this should be addressed. And then from after the 30-day public comment period, we're going to have two more listening sessions later this year to get even more feedback around what we should include or not include in the common agreement. So the 24th is really sort of just that kickoff, get us all on the same page, and then give the industry an opportunity to really work with us and and tell us what they think we should and shouldn't do around this. Now, Genevieve, as you mentioned, as we know, there are existing health information exchange organizations around the country, including some of the regional and statewide exchanges. And then there's also the existing national trust networks like Direct Trust and Commonwealth that also support exchange of health information. With that said, and based on what is sort of known in the industry at this point, what sort of technical and governance and policy holes do you see that are pretty gaping that need to be filled in order to achieve nationwide secure health information exchange, especially when it comes to achieving the goals of the 21st Century Cures Act? So I don't know that I would characterize it as, as gaping holes that need to be filled. I think what we've seen as we've been having folks do a review of these the various agreements these organizations have is that there there really is significant overlap in the agreements around how you exchange data. So I think there's a number, you know, privacy and security is a great area where I think most of these agreements have pretty significant overlap, if not the same language around how you maintain privacy and security within your network. So I think that there's significant alignment between what they're doing. I think there are some areas of variation between the organizations where they have just differences in in what they allow for or don't allow for or fees they charge or don't charge, where I think we need to really focus our attention in on sort of figuring out what variation is there because they have different use cases and different purposes, right? So there's always going to be some variation in agreements because we're pushing data for one purpose and you're pulling it for a different purpose, right? Like those are areas where you might have a different agreement language that's totally valid to have. And then there are other areas where maybe that divergence or variation in agreement language allows you to not exchange data. So it prevents the exchange of data. I think those are the areas that we really want to focus in with the industry and try to make sure that we understand if there's variation, why it's there and does it need to be there. And so I think we're looking less at plugging gaping holes and a little bit more about, you know, coming to agreement on some of those areas of divergence. Now, Genevieve, I also understand that before you joined ONC that you spent some time working at a payer organization and also was involved Mm -hmm. with Health Information Exchange in Pennsylvania. Based on that experience, what are some of the lessons that you've learned about what works and what doesn't work when it comes to trying to encourage healthcare sector entities to participate in secure health information exchange? So I, I started my career in health IT back at AmeriHealth Mercy Caritas, which is now called, uh, had, it was called Keystone Mercy when I was there. And very early days of health information exchange um, within Pennsylvania. And I think I, I helped draft one of the first governance documents for the health information exchange that's in Southeastern PA, HSX, which is now called HSX at the time. I think it was called something totally different. I think what we've seen with health information exchange is that it really does ultimately come back to the business case of why do I want to exchange data? I think that's the important piece that we 
we tend to miss a little bit as we go along. I think we often end up talking about interoperability for interoperability's sake or talking about it as, you know, this regulatory mandate of something you have to do. And I, I think what we've seen over the past number of years as we've tried to do health information exchange is that there really has to be a, a business reason for organizations to sign on to do it. I think, you know, in many cases, we're asking them to share data with competitors, folks don't feel great about doing that. Even if it's what's best for the patient, it's hard to ask the business to do something that goes against their entire business model. And so I think as we think about interoperability moving forward, we have to be really clear about why folks should do it and the business case for it. And that's why I'm I'm encouraged to see us moving on the value-based payment models. I, I think everyone sort of has the general feeling in the industry right now that we're we're finally at that chicken and egg point of we've we've now got the business case and things are starting to change. But in my opinion, that's been one of the biggest inhibitors to getting folks to sign on is is just that that shift in mindset from thinking about the exchange of data is where I hold my competitive edge to I'm going to provide really great services on top of this data. I think we really want to see that shift happen. And I I think as the business models for payments start to shift, we'll also start to see that same thing happen on the health IT side. Now, Genevieve, when it comes to intentional information blocking, how serious of a problem is that? And what kinds of information blocking do you get the sense is most prevalent? Yeah, so we've certainly had a lot of anecdotal reports over the years about information blocking. I think my personal opinion is it's it's a little hard to gauge how prevalent it is because folks have gag clauses and contracts that don't necessarily let them share information. And so what we sort of as ONC end up hearing is a lot of anecdotal evidence. Uh, You know, we have the report to Congress where we gave a number of samples of information blocking that we've heard about. Certainly a number of the associations have come to us with things that they've heard from their members. And so we tend to get a a lot of those types of information blocking cases, and they run the gamut of really, you know, the fees are just too high. It's price gouging, and it prevents me from exchanging to I get stuck in a queue by the vendor, and they just never get to doing my interface for me. And so I don't know that I really have a sense of what the most prevalent type of information blocking is. I do think that it's occurring. I don't know that we really know the extent to which it's occurring at this point. I think we've heard a lot of stories. I remember about a year and a half, two years ago, I was interviewing a provider for for something and, and they talked about not being able to set up an interface with a particular lab because their EHR was from a different competitive organization. And so, you know, they, they made it almost impossible to set up an interface, right? So you, you hear about all of these things. And so it's very clear that information blocking is occurring, but to the, the magnitude of it, I don't think that we know at this point what that looks like. ONC just released a funding opportunity announcement around basically like a glassdoor.com type organization to come in and, and give some transparency efforts to what it costs to do exchange of data. So the cost for the interfaces, things like that. So I would encourage folks to check out that funding opportunity announcement. I think there's a lot we can do on cost transparency to try and deal with sort of that piece of it. And we're hoping that folks are going to respond to that. The other thing that I would encourage folks to do is if they're experiencing information blocking or they feel like they have a case of information blocking on their hands, we have an online forum where folks can submit their complaints 
to us and the issues that they're facing. And we would love to hear about it. And anytime we hear about information blocking, it, it helps us really help the industry move past it. And so I encourage folks to go on our website if they're experiencing information blocking and tell us about it. If we don't know about it, we can't help out with it. The Trump administration is proposing a pretty hefty budget cut to ONC for fiscal 2018. How confident are you that ONC can achieve all its goals and accomplish all this work, especially the work related under the 21st Century Cures Act with about $22 million less in funding? We're working with the budget that we have, and we're confident that we're going to be able to meet our focus areas. I think we have shifted our focus to two main things, interoperability and usability slash burden reduction. So as we're looking at our portfolio of work over the next year, two years, we're really focused in tightly on those two areas. So we feel like we can accomplish what we've been asked to do as we sort of refocus more tightly into those two overarching areas. Thanks, Genevieve. I've been speaking to Genevieve Morris of ONC. I'm Marianne Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.